Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I am Joe Bamba from Evolution Recruitment Solutions and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today, I am your host. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of navigating the future of tech leadership. I'm joined by Lee Rathbone, Claire Reckless, Mike Lehan, and Daniel Ramirez. And once again, thank you very much for joining. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's just work our way around the room with some introductions. Lee, if I could start with yourself. Yep, Lee Rathbone, 25 years in tech, predominantly in the quality space, uh, but recently I've been dabbling in uh, engineering management, and that's me. Thank you very much. And Claire? Hi, uh, so I'm Claire Reckless. Um, I'm also an engineering manager at Money Supermarket Group, um, and my background is in sort of QA and, um, yeah, about 20 years in, in tech overall. So, yeah, that's me. Brilliant. And Mike? Hi there. I'm Mike Lehan. Um, I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Stewrents.com, which is a UK-based prop tech startup. Um, and I also do some conference speaking on the side. Um, and uh, I, I can't quite say 20 years, uh, maybe about uh, 14 years in the industry. Brilliant. And last but not least, Daniel? Oh. So I'm Dan, and I'm a technical lead, moving now into engineer manager role. Um, so I'm working at Embron, uh, which is a re- on-ride retail there, but at the same time is a financial service as well. So yep, that's me. Brilliant, thank you. So now we're all introduced. Um, let's move on to the topic of focus. So we've all discussed prior to this, um, you know, different topics around navigating the future of tech leadership. As usual, and what I usually do is just work around the room and mention the topic that each of you have put forward and ask for a bit of, uh, you know, elaboration behind it. And each of you will have the opportunity to to give your own take on the situation and respond. So if we can start with yourself, Mike, um, we discussed prior to this how to best manage and, um, you know, progression and career development within tech teams. Do you mind just sort of elaborating on that and, and discussing what your thoughts were behind it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as people have sort of alluded to, uh, some people in this call especially have, have quite a lot of experience in the uh, the tech industry. And there can be a challenge, I think, with um, the, the the length of time that people are now having tech careers for. Um, obviously, as uh, the internet has matured and become part of the everyday fabric of people's lives, um, we have more and more people who that is their, it's the thing they do, it's the thing they work on. But at the same time, everything evolves and changes so fast. Um, so I think there's a, a challenge maybe compared to uh, other traditional professional careers, uh, whereby in, in technology, um, the people who are uh, in the businesses the longest can end up actually losing uh, yeah, losing ground on other newer people into the business. Um, so we need to think of progression, not just for people who are newer, but also people who are more experienced. Obviously, we've now also got another challenge for progression, uh, which is with um, sort of uh, various technologies, AI, um, remote working, outsourcing. We have many more things which are going to prevent entry-level people from getting early experience in businesses um, because there's so many other choices we can go to for people who can work on uh, various parts of our technology stacks. And so I think that um, on both sides, really, there's a a challenge to keep people fresh, but also uh, to keep people um, growing and developing and gaining experience from um, other people. So that's why I propose that uh, as a topic. Uh, for us to discuss today. No, thank you very much. Um, Daniel, do you, have, do you have anything to add on that at all? Yeah, I think I will break it down initially in, in, in two, two questions probably. Like one is like at the progression. I, I think we probably need the, the business that the, we currently have is, uh, needs to define first like well-defined expectations for different roles and at different stages as well, like a, a junior, senior, a tech lead and 
it depends if it goes to the to the individual contributor as well or if it goes to the manager path as well so i guess that's kind of the, the initial step probably kind of well-defined roles and the expectations from from those specific uh, levels and then the second part i would say um career development which is it is up for us to as a leaders as managers for from all these people to kind of help them as well to kind of keep up to date with the, with the latest stuff, but also uh, setting up goals as well for them. And as we said before, is if they got this sp- specific expectation for the different roles that, that they can aim towards, then it is a little bit more much easier for kind of navigate that uh, career ladder I was, I guess. Okay, brilliant. So, I mean, yours is very much focused on sort of clear expectations and, you know, really defining what roles are and, and that will help people in that sense. If I can move over to yourself, Claire, what's your sort of view on that opinion and, and how would you, what would your advice be to, to best manage teams and um, progression moving forward? Um, yeah, so I'd kind of made some notes around this um, before the um, before the session and, and agree um, with what Daniel was saying in, in terms of needing to know what kind of good looks like for whatever your levels are, what are, what are the expectations that you would have from somebody who is a a junior or mid-level or senior and and lead and onwards really um and are you clear on where people in your teams are right now are they um are they performing at at whatever level they think they're at are they um you know are you kind of giving are are they receiving feedback around um around how they're performing and clear on how they get to where they need to be and also kind of do you understand where they want to go and why is it about the you know is it about the role or the job title that they want to be doing is it about the the activities they want to be doing within a role is it about the money you know what are their motivations and and how can you support with that um and sometimes it's it's it can be quite difficult kind of getting that information out of somebody and understanding where they want to go and why because some people don't you know they don't kind of necessarily think about that or they're not sure it's not clear to them what that path is um and so that you know they those conversations can be quite interesting it kind of trying to understand you know people feel that maybe they have to work move along a certain path but but actually they want to be doing something completely different but they just feel that you know oh the, this is the path because i'm a developer and where actually there could be lots of other opportunities and it's kind of opening up and facilitating those opportunities as well so they want to kind of you know, work on a different team or second out somewhere to pick up skills in another role or and kind of thinking a bit more broadly than just this is, you know, going up the levels from from junior to senior and having, having you know, giving them those opportunities, ensuring they have that time to focus on their own development, whether that's in work or, or out of work. And obviously everybody has those, has different, um, different lives and, and different, different needs. So, um, and that they have that motivation to progress and develop themselves in whatever way they want, and and ultimately they have to sort of take ownership of that, and it's important for them to know that as well, because some people are, you know, they're kind of oh I want to be trained, I want to be kind of you know progressed up, you know I want to progress, and I want you to tell me exactly what I need to do, but they also need to take ownership of that, and because um, everyone's different, everyone learns in different ways, everyone has has different reasons for for doing what they do, so um yeah it's important that you know everyone kind of has the opportunity to kind of reach their own sort of unique potential but it's yeah you know they um yeah they need to sort of have that autonomy and take ownership of that themselves no fantastic i think what you touched on there was 
it's almost like seeking to understand with each individual, isn't it? Um, like I said, everyone's different, and it's very much a two-way street where um, you need, you know, some some people need that um, that communication with somebody else to realise what they want to do, but they also have to, like you said, take ownership of it, which I think is an important point. And how about yourself, Lee? Obviously, touching on everyone said there, what are your thoughts? Wow. So it probably won't surprise Claire, but I've made zero notes and zero preparation for this one. Um, so, but I have just written down some stuff that came into my mind while all three other speakers were speaking, and it's this. This is one hell of a topic, right? This is a complicated topic. Um, I've never, ever in my 25 years in tech known such focus from people to be on how do I get to the next level? How do I know where, how to get to the next level? What is the next level? What's it look like? It, it's it's become the hottest topic in one-to-ones. Um, there's a load to unpick here. So progressive frameworks, Claire, you've, you've alluded to it. I think that, that they're great, but they can also be a bit of a downfall, as in people think they become checklists. And once you've done something once on that checklist, that means you can progress. And we all know that's not the case because progressive frameworks are guidelines, they're frameworks, they're not checklists. So so that's the one thing. But this thing about the rush to move through the the progressive framework or the, the layers or the levels of jobs that you have, never known anything like it. My feedback to all engineers currently, and it's a Ted Lasso uh, saying by the way so if you've watched Ted Lasso you'll know this it's live in the moment and it's what I mean by that when I say that to engineers who are so focused on I want to get to the next level I want to get to the next level is if you focus in the here and now and if you focus on owning your self-development which is what Claire was talking about and our job as leaders is to support them put frameworks and things around them that enable them to grow but they've got to own it but if they live in the here and now then the rest will follow it's good to have a plan, but it's a bit like martial arts. When you do martial arts, you can move through the early belts very quickly. But when it comes to the black belts and the dance, that's where you're getting into mastery. And I'm not sure I like that word. I should think of a different word. But, you know, that's where you're getting to be like the, the expert in your craft. And that takes sometimes many, many years. There's people I'm leading that are 25 years old. They've got another 42 years in tech, and that's if the retirement age stays where it is right now. So if by the time they're 30, their principles, where they're going next. But if they take their time and gather those battle scars and those experiences, it'll allow them to progress at the right pace. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing I would like to get across in that topic. No, brilliant. Thank you. I think... I think all their answers were, were were different, but um, had a lot of similarities at the same at the same time, which I think is very important. I think um, it's quite clear that I think managers and and leaders need to listen first of all. Um, probably one of the biggest skills that a lot of people um, you know should have, but also um, you know the individuals need to take ownership and and like you said, live in the present almost, and probably not worry too much about um, what's going to happen down the line because none of us actually know, do we? So. Um, while we're still with you then Lee um, one of the topics that, that you discussed prior to that obviously you come from a QA background um, you were quite interested in talking about what the role of QAs at QEs going forward would be and how that affects teams could you just elaborate on that please well I, I suppose a question to the other three panellists is is there a role for QAs and QEs going forward it's a provocative question I think the answer to that is yes so the, the old school QA tester 
where they're the gatekeeper of quality. We all know that those days um, are hopefully going behind us as we morph and change to be more engineers, but also coaches. So it's blending the two to be that, that quality engineer and that quality coach. However, we've got a major problem, and it's this. At Cinch, we have no QAs, no QEs. At my previous, one of my previous companies, we had no QAs, no QEs. The question is why? Well, the answer is they were both left, uh, Greenfield Technologies. They were both startups. And the people that started those companies and those tech departments had been burned previously by the old school tester, the old school QA that used to stop releases and be the gatekeeper for quality. Now I'm talking that mindset from 10 years ago, but these tech leaders that have grown up think that is the value add for testers and QAs and QEs. We know that's different, but they've been burnt. So when they started the Cinch Tech Team, and my previous company that had no QEs, they, they didn't want QAs because they saw the craft. That was the craft that slowed us down. They couldn't see the positives. They couldn't see the engineering side of it. They couldn't see the coaching, the quality side that we now bring to the table. They could only see the, they've stopped us releasing. They slow us down. And it's terminology I've heard in Cinch from tech leads. Now, as people leave Cinch and go into other companies, that message is going to spread. You know, if, if, if I, I don't know, Cinch, 100 people leave Cinch and go to 100 different companies, they're all going to be saying the same message. Why have we got QAs? Why have we got QEs? So my question that I'd like to open up to the floor is how can we get over this? Because there is real value add for QEs, QAs, testers, regardless of what terminology we use. And it is the engineering and the quality coaching. How do we get over this? Yeah, thank you. Like, you've been on that, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I can see the point of if you see a um, person as a gateway to, I mean, to, to anything really, we want to try and avoid blockers to businesses being agile, especially in a you know remote world or especially in an asynchronous working world. If someone has a say on whether something can or can't happen and it's one singular person, especially if they're not top of the organization, the, the people are going to um, get frustrated by that. And what we've done um, at StuRent is to try and shift everyone towards the center a little bit in terms of rather than having a QA over one side and an engineer over the other side, and one is sort of a blocker to the pipeline of the other. Um, we're trying to move people to understand the the business goals, no matter what angle they take from them. So that's uh, engineers understanding not just what they're building, but why they're building it, um, understanding the actual needs of the customer. Um, and then when we have people who are doing work on uh, producing uh, product specifications or requirements, to understand some element of the technology. What, what are they asking of the engineering team to to build? Um, what we found is that when we try and adopt a very um, straightforward QA model of uh, maybe the, the older school way of doing things on a tick list of, does this bit work? Does this bit work? Does this bit work? What often happens is that the answer isn't yes or no. The answer is, uh, well, maybe. So it works if the user knows exactly what they're doing, but the, uh, the person, the client, might not always understand what they're doing. The interface might not have been built the best way for the client. Um, and so the question as to whether it works is, is sort of moot. Maybe it works based on the paper specification, but it doesn't work for the actual person who you're selling your software to. It doesn't work for the person who's got to um, use that software at home to achieve some sort of task. Um, so what we're trying to do, and I think maybe I don't know, we, we haven't gained this from any sort of uh, industry headwinds. It's more just how we've seen our own team start to behave if we just sort of let them to it, is um, have people who are on the testing and on the approval side learn more about how the engineers operate, learn more about what the customer wants and be become more of an advocate for the customer. 
So the QA is no longer a, a blocker, they, they're an advocate. They're someone whose best interest is the, the customer, the, the person who's actually going to use the software. And equally for engineers to see QAs as the people that are going to give them those insights. Um, it means that QAs are moving to more of a technical business analyst kind of role where they are still assessing quality, uh, but they are assessing quality based on the overall criteria of well, what does our business need? What does what do our customers need? Um, and engineers can, I think, respect that in a lot bigger sense than someone who is just necessarily saying no to something. Uh, alongside that, we've obviously had to make sure that some of the key functions are still uh, being executed by automation. So um, automated tests to replace some of those manual steps, um, both on sort of test environments and, and uh, also on production environments as well. But uh, I, I think that the way we've seen things going, and as I say, this is just something we've, we've, we've let evolve within our team, is that the more people have uh, a deeper understanding of why the business is doing something, um, the more any of those functions can, can get on with each other, collaborate together, rather than feeling like anyone is blocking someone else's work from being you know, permitted to, to exist. Thank you. Some really interesting points there. Um, can I pass over to yourself, Claire, and just see what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, um, well, obviously, I'm, I'm from a QA background as well as Lee, and very much used to being told that our role is dead and redundant and and like not kind of not going to be a thing anymore. And you know, it still is, but. Um, but yeah, it is it is quite a difficult one, I think. And 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 I see the point about a lot of people have been burnt by QA slowing things down. And I've definitely worked in teams like that as well. Um and I think it's um you know, if if we can demonstrate if, if people can demonstrate how um testers and QAs or QEs or whatever you call them can can actually help speed things up. So in terms of having those com you know, getting involved in those conversations early. I know Mike was talking about kind of you know, shifting things earlier in the process, and we've talked we talk about shift left testing or shift right testing or whatever you, you call it. Um, you know, getting them involved in those conversations early, talking about risks, bringing that sort of real coaching quality mindset to the team, um, and encouraging them to kind of think about those things early on, as well as um, kind of encouraging them to think about you know which which are the best tools they can use, and not provide not have not being that gatekeeper not being you know not even necessarily having a sort of testing phase where you sort of that that old school sort of chuck it over the fence to testers um and um you know and it either goes out or it doesn't but um but yeah i think definitely kind of being in, being involved a lot earlier bringing that quality coaching mindset and um you know advocating for different tools um experimentation investigating different tools different ways of working different technologies um in the testing arena i think there's you know there's lots of really good value that testers can bring um and ways it can help kind of speed up that release process rather than slow it down oh thank you very much and, and daniel what about you do, you do you agree with what's been said or or your thoughts i mean that um it, I actually dream with all those sort of things, but I think it was it, it is the concept that I think that it is kind of ending from the beginning because uh, if we think as engineers and QA or quality quality assurance uh, working towards the same goal, then it is a team that it is working with with the same goal, and and if we start separating them like engineers deliver stuff and. QA uh, is kind of uh, stopping us for delivering. Then th th there is a problem there. But it, as 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 uh, um, Claire mentioned, uh, it's uh, if we make sure that engineers and uh, quality assurance engineers uh, work together, um, and shifting stuff to the left 
as as we said, Claire uh, mentioned as well. I think that actually helps engineers uh, getting that assurance that they they are building staff and having that QA mindset as well as they are building the staff and adding proper tests on on, on proper requirements as well on the, on, on on that this requirement the stages, and I think that. Uh, actually give the business as well that assurance that everything that will be in as well it has like a minimum uh, uh, like a, a, a minimum quality that we are delivering and then later on it's not going to be any incidents or any issues uh, later on that could impact our customers at the end of the day so no thank you very much i think um i think everyone touched on the topics there that again with the way the future is going at the moment and um, what we'll we'll touch on next um regarding the next topic is probably links into this a little bit but i suppose we'll never know exactly um what changes will come which will directly or indirectly affect the role of qas but i suppose lee just summarizing um what's been said there were there responses that you expected or was there a few surprises in there no there's there's no real surprises and i'll tell you why in every company's context every company's tech stack Every company's customers, every customer's people that they have working there are different. So everyone's approach is different. And what I love at the moment is the agile purists are fading away. And the reason for that is everyone's realized that there's some things from agile that work for them and there's some things that don't. And it's the same with how people perceive the role of different crafts. Everybody uses BA slightly differently. Everybody's using QA slightly differently. What I love about the the, the, the recent movement with, with QEs is their engineers, they're getting more technical. They can shift left, but they can also shift right. So what Mike was saying about partnering with customers, that's that for me, shifting right. Testing in live is also another shifting right. So the, the role is changing. It'll be interesting to see how it morphs and changes again now with the metaverse and and everything with AI. So, you know, how will that then see the new shift in, in QEs? But yeah, I think everybody was speaking from it from their own context, which was really interesting. Thank you, Lee. And Claire, if we can move on to yourself. Um, prior to this, we discussed sort of how, um, you know, leaders can guide and mentor people to remain relevant. I know we touched on it a little bit before, but, um, and that comes with sort of things like the emergence of AI and other trends. Um, could you just elaborate a little bit on what you meant by that and, and, and put something into the group? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I guess it probably ties into what we've already discussed, to be honest with you. But um, I'd, I think when we talked about kind of topics for this, I think I'd happen to have read about, I think, Dropbox laying off a, a whole bunch of their staff um, because of, you know, I, I don't think it was the only reason, but part of it was around the sort of, uh, you know, um, growth of AI and then wanting people with um, different different skill sets to some of their, their existing employees and so, because I happened to have read that that day, that was, that was why it was on my mind. But uh, I guess it's always been, you know, the case that, with, with, like Mike was saying before, if you if you work in tech, you you need to develop, you know, constantly be developing your skills. Developers and engineers, uh, since time sort of immemorial, have had to um, needed to pick up new languages, new frameworks, things like that. And I think AI, the kind of the growth um, of a lot of these AI tools of it's kind of brought that into focus again. It's sort of a sharp reminder of that need to to kind of keep your skills up to date and and you know remain try and remain kind of relevant in the industry. Um, you know, people. I think it, it's important that people are able to learn. It's kind of learn knowing how to learn can be a difficult thing in itself. Um, and that you know, I think 
being able to being able, being able to do that and do that well and pick things up quickly is a, is a you know a skill in itself. Um, and I guess there's interesting parallels with the things we've talked about with testers and and kind of you know remaining relevant in that area as well. But yeah, so um, I know that companies and people can get distracted by the sort of shiny shiny new things. Um, and uh, you know uh, how can we use this tool and can we automate things and you know might we you know be able to automate people's jobs away and things like that and I know that you know can be a bit of a worry for people but I think there's lots of opportunity for creation of new roles on and evolution of existing roles as well but I was keen to um was keen to find out what the group thought um yeah so I'll throw it open to everybody else thank you very much claire mike can we start with you then um you know what are your thoughts on you know ensuring that people stay relevant and, and especially the sort of leaders to, to the developers that they they obviously yeah i i think that the, the the biggest thing is um to ensure that people still have a passion for what they're doing um and obviously we, we you can't you can't sort of compel passion but what you can do is allow people to um to identify it and to um you know people who are software engineers aren't all of you know cut from the same cloth there are reasons why some people like it because of the ordered nature of the work some people like it because of the the creative nature of the work and those two things can seem at odds but actually they're very, very similar um some people just love the exploration of new technologies i've actually got uh i can't uh, i'll show it on the screen but i can describe it i've got an oculus headset here that i have on my work desk at the moment because me and one colleague have been using our uh, oculus quests for the last couple of weeks to try and work in a vr space together um, the, the reason for doing that isn't because we have suddenly come on this sort of uh, metaverse maximalist route where we've decided that we will only work in VR from now. This is all we're doing in the same way that we haven't decided that all of our code from now on is produced by ChatGPT. What we have done is encourage the team to say, well, if there's interesting technology, if there's stuff that's going to um, interest you and excite you about how you can do your work, let's find ways to use that. And let's, you know, sometimes that might mean we take a productivity hit because we're trying a new connectivity tool like wearing a VR headset whilst in a meeting. And there are some teething issues with that because it's new tech or when you're using ChatGPT to write a script and it gets it wrong. Um, and I've written a lot of script to ChatGPT in the last few weeks and maybe 50% success rate. Um, it's not great, but also it's kind of cool that we're, we're doing that. Um, it means though that leaders need to be really aware of how these things work. Um, I've seen a trend on some parts of social media with things like GPT of saying it's just all nonsense. It's you know, joking about how wrong it gets and oh, it's silly. Uh, and then they 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 drop it and discard it. And my worry there is that then your sort of newer breed of engineers who are getting into this either won't have the direction they need to use it responsibly, uh, or will end up overtaking people and finding that their leaders no longer represent their interests. And both of which would be um, problems, I think. So. Uh, for, for me, I want to find out what my team are passionate about. I want to find what excites about technology. Um, and maybe it's none of those technology things. Maybe they're excited most about the idea of getting to go home early one day. Um, and so we can leverage that as well. We can we can leverage that to say, well, you know, we've got these requirements. Let's 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 get together. Let's 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 work together and try and meet them. Um, and all those things that empower people around whatever it is, whether it's new stuff like AI and uh, wearing headsets or old stuff like wanting to go for a beer early. Um, there are ways to encourage people's passion to kind of come through in the way they work. No, that was really interesting. Thank you. And um, I've always wanted to use one of them VR headsets, so it's good to see you using one. Um, Daniel, what are your thoughts on AI and 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 whether teams should be should be adopting it or, or at least getting to, getting used to the latest trends with it? All? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Obviously, I, I, I kind of like it. Um, um, but I think coming to the to the question, I think. Uh, how can we guide and mentor people to stay relevant? 
I think it's by enable them to explore and create some innovative projects maybe. And uh, it, it goes in both ways because uh, engineers might need to build some stuff, but the uh, quality assurance can actually go and, uh, and give it a, a go as well. And and, and th that's that's what I was talking about before about the goals. Uh, we are we have a common goal to build something new, explore something new, and create something innovative from out of that. And it might even you know uh, be the next uh, new thing for your business as well. So I think that's. Uh, that's kind of like uh, my take on that, though. Thank you, Daniel. And, and Lee, what are your thoughts on it all? Oh, wow. <laughs> another, another deep topic, right? So where to start with this one? Um, so I, I've got something I'd like to throw out to start with, and then I, I, I want to take a direct hit and try and answer Claire's question. So in 2015, we sort of saw the cloud become mainstream from being something that was a buzzword the majority of companies started moving to cloud. So what we're seeing now is tech leaders who are leaders now were the ones that really understood the cloud and got on it pretty early. But those tech leaders that are now are in those positions because they got on that trip with uh, the cloud early doors. But are they being selfish enough? Are they now thinking about the future? Because where they might find themselves is if they're not focusing on the new tech, their leadership journeys could one and truly halt and they, because they won't become relevant, it'll be the people who are now showing the interest in the VR headsets, the AI, machine learning. They're the ones that are going to be the tech leaders of the future. And the people that are currently tech leaders, we need to ask ourselves, how do we realign? AI for me reminds me like automation for testers way back in the day. Everyone was saying it would replace testers and it hasn't. The testers that add value are the ones that learns how to use automation. Those are the testers that have, have had great careers and are now the ones that are employed. So it's the same with AI and machine learning. It's those leaders and those people that understand how to use AI. Those are going to be the people that excel and, 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 and careers boom in the next couple of years. But to answer Claire's question directly, how do we remain relevant? I think there's four things that we can do. You can do these things today, by the way. One, you can go into your company and ask your architects and your CTOs, what's the roadmap for the company? So remaining relevant, remain relevant to the roadmap for the company. Look what's on the roadmap, align your skills. Two, you can ask, what are the trends in my craft? So what's what's the vo what's the, the voice on the street? What's the word on the street in testing for me, as an example? And I can align myself with those trends to stay relevant. The other one is, what's the trends in my industry? So if I'm in retail, what are the trends in technology for retail? And then the last one is, what are the tech thought leaders thinking and talking about? And again... That is a way of aligning yourself and having a little bit of insight as to what the future is going to tell you. Um, so those are the four things I would do today, and I do, to try and say, how do I need to align and pivot and change to remain relevant? Thank you. I think, again, it sort of goes back to taking ownership of your situation, doesn't it? And, and actually going out of your way to ensure that you're up to date with everything. Um, I think if individuals perhaps rely on um, their businesses to, to help them do it. I think they might fall behind. So, like you said, it's about staying relevant, but having the desire to stay relevant, I suppose. Um, I suppose just going back to yourself, Claire, was there anything there at all that was surprised to hear, or were they sort of along the same lines of what you what you were thinking? 
Yeah, it was along similar lines. It made me smile when Lee was talking about the test automation thing because I think I've made some kind of made because I've made some notes around the the topic, and I was like, "There's definite parallels here with the uh, test automation kind of ongoing uh, thing." Um, but um, but yeah, so no, it definitely some really good on like really good um, answers there. Yeah, really interesting to hear. Brilliant. And then Daniel. Um... Prior to this, we had a, a discussion, and the the sub question that you came up with was what the panels think of OKRs, um, whether using them or you know whether they see any sort of value in using them. And I suppose just to the people listening, could you just explain what OKRs are, um, and also just a bit about the context behind that? Yeah, sure. I I think actually kind of late alluded to the to this as well. Kind of um, where the where the leadership thing is that are the goals for this year or. But what what are we heading towards in in that specific company that we are working on? Um, so the OKRs kind of help us initially send us setting up objectives, such as then we can track them if there is any progress with the key results. And I guess uh, what I wanted to hear or ask is uh, any of us are kind of using it. Because uh, I recently started using more more often because I, I kind of moving from the tech lead to an engineer manager. So I'm kind of actually creating those OKRs myself uh, for, and, and setting up for uh, those objectives for my team. And I think that uh, I am in a little bit more of the honeymoon phase uh, on the OKRs. And I wanted to, to hear if there is any pitfalls uh, from, from the other uh, panelists and if there is any issues that uh, they encounter, anything at all from that perspective thank you can i start with yourself mike what, what are your thoughts do you use them uh so I'm, i'll confess i had to look at one okr was when i saw it come through in the uh email prior to the podcast um so i had a, had a brief read uh, but i've seen what they are used for and again uh, like a lot of things in sort of management terms uh, you end up creating things which are like this thing that someone else talks about but they're sort of different because you've, you've come up with a lot of these things organically or whilst your business is growing you've had to find ways to track things and i think um, you know it, it looks like okrs sort of fit that area we we obviously all have ways to try and think of how a business is successful and how our team is successful and even if we don't have a a formalized way of doing it you tend to know you tend to have an idea of whether you're succeeding or not you don't often need a number to tell you whether you are or not Um, numbers are quite helpful communicating that between people who might not understand what success looks like for different people which again goes back early to the idea of people progressing right a role a list of role descriptions isn't a checklist it's not i did this one thing one time so now i'm that I'm just I'm, I'm a senior now, you know. It, it's a it's a progression over time, and again, same with the business. The business doesn't just become successful after ticking up two goals. It it becomes successful um, for a whole range of reasons, and those goals are part of that. Um, I also uh, thought it was interesting uh, what Lee said before um, about agile and how sort of the um, the mindset around agile does feel like it's changed or or at least changing. Um, and what's interesting about the initial agile manifesto is um, it's very light on process. Um, it doesn't mention OKRs. It doesn't mention sprints. It, 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 the Agile Manifesto is, is primarily a, a mindset. Um, and actually, well, what a lot of people have then invested in, especially with software, um, I was reading about OKRs on Atlassian's website. And obviously, Atlassian are discussing OKRs. And then conveniently, they have this solution that they can sell you uh, to uh, track these OKRs that they are advocating. Um, and I think a lot of the um, Agile world has sort of become that. People think of an idea, they build a platform around it and then they sell that idea as the only way to do things from from then on um so my my advocation especially when i'm talking with people who are new to business people who are interested in sort of start 
um, is often that the the specific way you go about doing agile uh, is, is is probably already you're asking the wrong question. Uh, the question you want to be asking is, do we know why any of this is relevant to our business? Do we know what we are aiming to achieve at all to start with? Um, and then go from there. Um, whether we're using a you know, Jira solution or whether we're using uh, some other sort of uh, tool chain or some other methodology is a lot less relevant than do we actually know uh, why why we want to exist. And that that then bleeds into every other area. We've talked about how you can encourage team members. Your team members will want to work for you if they think your business goals are um, exciting and adventurous and that they're going to achieve something through that. Uh, they don't want to work for you if it's a tick list of things that they get scored on a lot of numbers between those points. That's maybe a sideline way that you can manage some of the complexity away. Uh, but that's not the, the the primary focus. So uh, my my sort of thought around these kind of things is I'm sure there's always a place to use um, tools like this, but it would need to become something that you see the business almost organically adopt before you adopt it, rather than to say, oh, we're going to do this from now on because someone said I should do this. No, thank you very much. Some really interesting points there. And, and how about yourself, Lee? Um, is this something you've used in previous um, you know roles or? Just in general, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I've used OKRs, or I've, I've, I've had OKRs forced on me in, in previous companies. Um, it's a bit like I've had Agile done to me in previous companies. Uh, the language is very uh, chosen there. Um, it's not even an Agile thing, by the way. Uh, I've worked in non-Agile environments where OKRs have been used. And actually, Bono from U2 uses OKRs to run U2. So there you go. There's a, a nice little nugget for you. There is a great book called Measure What Matters, which goes into OKRs, and the website has loads and loads of great materials around OKRs. I think I would echo what Mike has said. Why do we want to use OKRs? Why why do we want to use metrics? What behaviors are they going to drive? So that has to be written really well. What I would like to say is I've seen them fail epically, where different tribes have had uh, OKRs that are loggerheads with each other, and not unified and they're not behind a unified company vision so instead of coming and coming down from a company vision each tribe is allowed to just create their own okrs and they just drive different it's like going into different companies different countries sorry it's bizarre it drives different cultures different behaviors and i think that's the thing okrs can drive behaviors um they can be poorly written uh, and they can be not communicated there's loads that can fall down. But you can say this about a number of things. You can say this about anything, really, can't you? Um, OKRs, when done right, can actually be quite powerful as a way of tracking initiatives and getting stuff done. But my experience overall is is not great compared to great. Thank you. And how about yourself, Claire? Do you agree with what Lee said? Is it, have you had similar experiences? or Definitely agree with some of what Lee said. Um, yeah, I've seen OKRs done really badly where you've got different ones all over the business and they're not aligned in any way to the same thing uh, like to an overall overall goal or objective and they just yeah everybody's sort of just trying to do their own thing and, and it's just a big mess um i think um one of the well, yeah one of the problems i've seen it, it can be quite hard to write write them well I and mean, then you can spend a lot of time kind of craft trying to craft really really clear and really useful okrs only for them to then all change like six weeks later when some you know there's had to be some shift in something and so a lot of time is often spent kind of um you know putting them together for then them to be kind of either discarded or or, or having to be changed again um but 
but yes, have seen them kind of work quite well in that if there is an overall goal, um, that the sort of you know objectives and you know okay, that the the team can um, the the teams within the business um, and then individuals can sort of align to. So the team, you know, if the, if there's that over overarching goal that the business is working towards, that the teams can make sure that the objectives that they set as a team kind of feed into that, and then individuals within those teams, it may be that that their sort of own development goals might, they might not all kind of feed into that because they might have sort of personal development things they want to work on as well. But, you know, it may be that, that they're, you know, they can, um, they can align with those as well. So they can provide a good framework um, when, you know, when they work well. Um, but yes, there are definitely uh, pitfalls there. But can, I just, uh, yeah, can I just add one last thing? Um so the, the best place I saw them work was actually a, a, a company you might have heard of. It's called PlayStation. And um, the reason it worked is because it was a bought-in cultural thing from, from everyone. Everyone bought into the process, the why. They were collaboratively written. And they weren't seen as something to beat people up with, although they should have that stretch element in there. But everyone got behind them. When I talk about everyone, PlayStation is a global company. And although I'm talking about the European branch here, we all fed into the global vision and the global goals. So we all knew we were we were pushing the company together, whether you were in America, Tokyo, Japan, or here in Europe. And it felt unified. And that's where I saw it work really well. So do you almost think that you need to have a shared vision in order for it to be... You know, as efficient as possible. Yeah, it used to be it needs to be unified, and everyone needs to buy its culture. You're talking about a cultural thing here. Yeah, thank you. And then I suppose just to finish off, Daniel, were the answers that you expected to hear, or um, was there any surprises in there compared to what you initially thought? No, yeah, I, I got definitely a lot of this to look up. So uh, it's very good insight there. Thanks. No, that's great. Well, um, like I said, I think we're, we're coming to the end of the the podcast, unfortunately, but. Um, just I wanted to put a question to the group, and it's um, if, if you don't have anything, don't worry at all. But for our more junior listeners, um, if you could just give one short bit of advice to them um, getting into the tech industry, and if there's anything in particular that you wish you'd know when you started off, um, that would be brilliant. But again, I know I've put you on the spot a little bit, so don't worry if you don't have anything. Um, I would, I, I think I've already said it, and it's live in the moment, don't rush. Get, get the experience, I call them battle scars, which is probably the wrong word to use, but gain the experience and live in the moment. And I use the F word here, have fun. Thank you. I'd, I'd, agree, I'd agree with what, what, what Lee said. Um, and uh, I think I'd, I'd, I'd add to it that, um, you know, battle scars don't come for free. Um, you you, uh, you can't sort of necessarily just, 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 just make that kind of experience out of nothing. Um, one, one great way for getting some experience, especially in sort of software development side of things or in dealing with communities, dealing with people, people who might disagree with what you want to do or what you want to build, um, is to get involved in open source. Um, I'm a big advocate for um, engineers being involved where they can in, in open source, especially it's great in a kind of world where people want to see things like portfolios. I know I acknowledge everyone who's in professional careers doesn't necessarily have time to build those things, but when people are starting out, if you want to differentiate yourself, find some frameworks or some tools that you've used or that you've benefited from, uh, whether they're small things maintained by one or two people or big uh, frameworks like uh, React or something similar, um, they are online, they're on GitHub usually, and you can find issues uh, that are tagged for beginners in a lot of cases. Go and work on them and contribute back. Um, it's a great way to get that experience, um, and you'll have some great experiences. You'll 
probably have some bad experiences as well but i think that's that's good again you can earn those battle scars and that will prepare you a lot more for when you get into uh, industry and you have to defend your decisions and you have to um you know work with other people who have their own views their own opinions about how things should be done and to sort of learn the the um the, the process of balancing that and collaborating with people effectively thank you mike uh, daniel have you got anything at all yeah so uh, you mentioned about people getting into the industry uh, i think uh, if, if you if you want to get into the industry i will encourage you for create your own project build stuff uh, whatever that is uh try to get the, your, your your hands uh, kind of dirty and uh, doing the uh, Whatever that is, if you are interested in mobile, you're interested in web website, just go and build one. And uh, you can actually have like uh, your own portfolio that you can later on present it. And there is some options as well, like apprenticeships uh, as well. There is lots of things that you can learn. I, even you've got now the AI, ChatGPT uh, that can help you kind of build so, some of the foundations as well. So I guess you've got like lots of things to say you got to start with. And yeah, I would say go and build it. Thank you. And how about you, Claire? Um, be curious. And uh, yeah, there's so much out there. Endless resources. Learn how to learn. Try and have fun while you're doing it, as Lee said. Um, try and do what you enjoy. It's not always possible. We all have to do bits of the job that we don't enjoy, but um, but it definitely helps if you can. And nobody knows it all. So, yeah. No, thank you very much. Before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Joe Bamber and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at joe.bamber at evolutionjobs.co.uk or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.